You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's time for the unofficial 40. Soonerscoop.com's very official recruiting podcast featuring Soonerscoop.com recruiting publisher Josh McQuistian. Get your recruiting fix from the leader in Sooner Recruiting. It's the unofficial 40 with your hosts, Soonerscoop.com publishers Carrie Murdoch and Josh McQuistian. Welcome back. It is another unofficial 40 here on Soonerscoop.com, and we're joined now by uh, Josh McQuistian from his home base. Josh, how you doing today? I'm doing good. You know, and I think I've decided I'd rather it be a bunker rather than a home base. So that, that's kind of what I'm going with from here on out. They, they make mine out to be a dungeon on the radio, so it is, it's more like a hoarder's palace <laughs> than a dungeon. I think I've said that before. Eddie Radosevich, that's a guy laughing across from me that you hear in studio. And Eddie, how are you, son? Doing well, doing well. Uh, busy week. Let's start off, uh, Josh, today you went to see uh, OU's latest commitment. Yeah, went, went to see Kenneth Murray. And, you know, it was kind of interesting because he kind of behind the scenes hadn't really tried to hide it or tried to, you know, make too much of a a big moment of this thing. I mean, he very, he was kind of open about it. You know, he gave me some quotes and um, uh, our guy, Matt Claire from our Texas high school site. So we kind of knew what was coming, but what was interesting is one of those old, um, you know, recruiting kind of, you know, I guess when you've done this too long, the little things you start to pick up on is the hats. And when he laid all the hats out, the Texas hat was all bent up and you could tell he'd done some stuff to it while the OU and A&M, they were just flat build and you kind of like, and just pristine. don't get me wrong. Yeah, and so you're like, well, somebody, somebody did something with that, and then, um, you know, you hear afterward his dad talked about, you know, we're gonna have video of all this stuff I'm talking about, um, where his dad talked about, you know, he really wanted Kenneth to go to Texas. That was the school he liked for him, but was very open. I, you know, you don't want to make it sound like this was this overbearing dad and didn't like it. He was happy for his son. He just, you know, he kind of saw Texas as his option. But Kenneth tells a story, and I'll kind of let him do it on the video. But the the hat is more about dad, and dad kind of apparently couldn't wait to wear it, and so it ended up getting a little <laughs> bent up, and that's kind of how that went down. So Kenneth's like, "Yeah, that hat was never going to be anything until my dad decided he wanted one." Two things, I guess. One probably not so serious. Just the the idea of covering a uh, an announcement or event. It's kind of nerve wracking going in there and, and thinking that it's going to be Oklahoma. And then like you start noticing stuff, as Josh said, like went to the, uh, it, the Justin Manning one, I guess was the one that really stuck out when it was like, you walk in and he's, he's pulling out all the hats and everybody starts yelling A and M and stuff. And it was just like, okay, he's probably not going to OU. I can probably just turn the camera <laughs> off. Uh, but the other thing I guess would be the more serious question, Josh is, uh, you know, with his dad's out, I guess, love, outspoken love for Texas. Uh, do you see them still being a player once we get into uh, the later months, or is it a good thing that 
he's going to be a spring enrollee and uh, get to campus as soon as possible. I think that helps a lot, you know, and, and I thought it was, you know, kind of to go back to Big 12 Media Day, I thought it was interesting how open Charlie Strong was, you know, about we want to close in December and January. Those guys can do whatever they want before that. You know, we're not going to spend a lot of time worrying about that. We're going to recruit guys whether they're committed or, you know, it, it, it was just a very open and honest comment that you don't hear a lot of coaches willing to admit that they're a part of. And I, I thought that was uh, – like I said, it was something that was really interesting, especially with what transpired between Oklahoma and Texas last year. In Murray's case, I, I, I don't get that feeling. I mean, this is a kid said repeatedly, told me again today, you know, I'm done. This is this is over. I'm going to Oklahoma. It does help a lot that he'll enroll in December. I mean, you think about it, that kid will be done with school December 18th, and he'll already probably be enrolled at that point, uh, you know, start going through all the process of getting himself prepared to go to Oklahoma. Now, if he was a spring enrollee, it makes you wonder if maybe that doesn't come into play again. But with this, I, I just don't see it, you know, and I see a kid that really, it's more than just him in Oklahoma. You heard him talk about uh, how, his, how they treated his mom when he was up there. Not that Texas treated his mom badly or anything like that. It just feels like Oklahoma struck a very particular chord with him and I think that's um, something that means a lot. You know, some of these kids, I talk to them, I'm like, that, that dude, may, he may still look around. This may still kind of go forward. I don't get the impression that's what Kenneth Murray wants. I think he wanted to be done with it. He wanted to focus on his senior year. And I, I, I would be surprised if he's a guy that we hear about two months from now is, you know, kind of quietly taking visits around uh, the Big 12 and around the country. I'm just going to say right now, do a radio show every morning with four people. That's the longest I've heard one person talk in maybe three years. Josh McQuistion. Just let him go. Just let him go. You just wind you up. You're just used to going on these radio shows. That's exactly where they wind you up, and you're you're going. You're doing the show in Poto, or I don't even want to do Oklahoma. I don't want to rip on Oklahoma. Let's say you're doing like Hillsboro, Texas, or something. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm Ninety-three-seven. The edge. Or like the station that uh, that Buddy, the head coach for uh, East Mississippi, calls in to uh, on Last Chance U. I still haven't started it yet. Oh, okay. I, I, I saw the, last I night. Saw I the trailer. I going to talk about that. I, I saw the trailer. I watched Stranger Things instead. So You need to get on Last Chance U. But it's, I had, a, I had well, a question in there. I just thought it, I had to bust you on that, Josh, because you just went. No, it's fine. <laughs> I'm long-winded. We, we know this. Everybody knows this. I talk too much. You, uh, the one thing that, that, Eddie, that you sparked in my head was I wanted both of you, and I can tell you what my worst signing uh, press or announcement press conference is. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing Waraboko was way up there for you, Eddie. Yeah, probably. It was, Waraboko was so bad just because of – Honestly, it was because of social media and just everybody like attacking me for going to Waraboko's <laughs> press conference. And it's like, well, like I'm not you the caused one. Him to choose UCLA. Yeah, at one point, I, I, honestly, I was like, I'm glad that he shows UCLA. I remember I was leaving Westmore in Dahu Green signing ceremony, and I remember walking out, and I think I called you because there, we were waiting and waiting, and it, it's, it was late, wasn't something happened to wait, make it late? They were waiting on ESPNU to oh, throw right. it to them in, in, uh, in Cassidy, in the gym there. And I remember, I can't remember if I talked to you after it happened or before, but I just remember you describing how hostile the crowd was. Yeah, they were like, it, it was just, it was really uncomfortable because I think a lot of people thought they went into that gym thinking that he was going to go to Oklahoma, 
and mostly his high school buddies and stuff like that. And it was just, it was awkward. It was super awkward. That was that was worse than Justin Manning. At least everybody was happy for Justin yeah. when he announced down in uh, you were in Texas Kimble. though. Yeah. it's almost better to go into enemy territory. These guys need to start making their announcements like at River or uh, not Riverwind, uh, the other casino, Windstar. Windstar, yeah, yeah. I bet they allow it. Uh, well, they're not old enough to get in there though. I don't think. Oh, that's true. You have to be eighteen. Uh, Josh, I mean, you've been to a ton. You got what's just one that stands out to you? Now well, you weren't when you were a student. You didn't go to Robert Meacham's, did you? No, no, I wasn't there. You know, and I, I think people there, there's so many young people that don't even remember that. Like, I had a story loaded with Meacham. I had had the conversation. He was going to OU, and then he picked Tennessee. Like, that's a that was my first kind of awakening to like how crazy recruiting was. That was that was I had been doing this for like 18 months at that point. Like I, I was still just dipping a toe and I was going to school. Like I, I didn't know, but it's, I think it was kind of when I got hooked on it. Like that was when I was like, wow, this is, you know, you have to kind of grind out every day because it's always something changing and everything's so fluid. The two that always stick out for me are one is J.R. Bryant uh, going out to Dodge city. I'd never seen, you know, I'm from Oklahoma. I'd never seen that many cattle in all my life. Like it's just pasture after pasture. It smells awful riding out to the, the whole announcement. We've had this discussion before because I had to drive from Coffeeville to Dodge City for the junior oh. college all-star game. Yeah. Somehow I got in it, and it's the worst <laughs> drive I've I've ever taken in my life. It's it's just so bad, and there's nothing out there, and it stinks to high heaven, and. I, I get out there thinking it's going to be a press conference, but like the time you get to Dodge City, you're like, this isn't going to be a press conference. This is going to be me and a guy talking in some little coaching office's room, and that's exactly what it was. The funny part was one of our members actually kind of worked in the Dodge City athletic department, and so we're you know I keep saying Dodge City, it's Garden City. Garden I, City, I, yeah. I, I keep messing that up. Um, so we get out there. And it, it is. It's just me and him talking in like this dark room, and it was kind of weird and uncomfortable. But like they'd like he's behind a table, and I'm sitting in kind of a row of chairs. But it's just me and him, like, and one of his coaches, like, just in the room. And it, it's it was the strangest kind of press conference ever <laughs> because it was just me and him having like a one on one, but we were acting like we were in press row or something. It was it was really bizarre. Um, and did he make other, an announcement, the, the, or did he already, when he already been committed by then? No, that yeah, he was announcing his commitment, and I came up there thinking it was going to be like a press conference scenario, which, I mean, you've been there, Kerry. Garden City's a drive, man. That was like five and a half hours for me to go up there, and that was just when we were dipping our toe in video and stuff. So, like, I didn't have – like, we basically did a ride-up, and I took a few pictures. Like, that's, that's what we got out of that whole trip up there. And, you know, so it's, just, it's, it's madness, the, the stuff that used to happen. But the funnier one to me, and you guys brought up Justin Manning, so it's kind of funny to come full circle, was Demarcus Granger. I was there. He announced on Dallas uh, television on a Sunday night. Right, I remember that. And they invited me to come down and go on the, on the broadcast with him. You know, kind of, this is what it means. This is where he fits into OU. Just kind of, you know, scope type stuff. And... At one, they've got me in the bullpen of the, <laughs> of, of the uh, newsroom. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm kind of on this elevated platform, and I'm talking. Well, they're running highlights, and I didn't think they were coming back to me. And I'm looking up at this screen up above me, just kind of watching the TV, you know, the guy talking, the host, and the, uh, the highlights of DeMarcus playing over the top. 
And all of a sudden they cut back to me and I'm just not prepared. Like there's no, like I'm, you catch me dead red on the screen and I'm looking up at this TV and I, I just look like an ass. I mean, there's no other way to say it. Like I just looked like a complete TV noob, which I was. And it's just one of those things that will live with me forever because my, my parents, like my sister lives in the Dallas area and she recorded it. They sent it to my whole family and they're all excited. I'm like, I don't ever want to see that thing ever again. Like, I don't want to be part of this. And it still like exists somewhere in my grandparents' house. Is this on the internet? It's possible. It's definitely possible. I think, let's see, Granger was what? 2005. He was my age. Yeah, yeah. So I, it probably isn't. But it probably should be because, I mean, that, that's something I should live in shame with for a while. You know, it's bad is I had a very similar experience to your J.R. Bryant. Um, and I can't remember why this, how this worked out, but it was Brandon Walker, who was at Coffeeville. And I think we even knew he committed. Maybe we even broke sources say he's committing. But he hadn't officially done it yet. So I went up there and, like, they had they, – I was just sitting in the head coach's football offices – and then Brandon Walker walks in and makes a phone call, I think, to Kevin Sumlin, like, or Kevin Wilson right in front of me and commits. And then I hand him the phone and he goes on. That was when we had Rivals Radio back in the day. And he went on there. And then I was like, I drove all the way here just for that. <laughs> so that sucked. But no, my, my worst, and this is all my fault, because you know I can be Twitter jackass guy. Um, in real life, I used to kind of be a jackass every once in a while too, but it was Curtis Lofton, uh, his signing. And I'm going to tell you this cause this guy's listening to our podcast cause I've been DMing with him lately cause he really likes our podcast. Michael Swisher, uh, who's a, a guy that covers Oklahoma high schools. I think he's from Kingfisher, but he actually was the one that broke that Curtis Lofton was going to choose OU. And I kind of got in like a stupid jackass Twitter, not uh, internet fight with him. And so when I went there, I there was a lot of hostility, like between me and him. And in typical Kerry Murdoch fashion, I went like with a shirt that was barely ironed, or I tried to iron it, but mm-hmm. I didn't use water, so it, like the wrinkles never came out completely. And he was wearing a John Deere hat, so I was making fun of his John Deere hat, and he was making fun of. Me not wearing a, a shirt that was ironed. Is this while you guys are sitting there waiting for the... No, this wasn't like... You didn't do like live updates then. Oh. Like, you would have to find some way to get online and post it on the board. So I Looking think when for I, a Wi-Fi spot when to like I got plug home, into? Because they did it on Channel 9. That was live on Channel 9. And so I think, yeah, I, I come back to Norman and I do all this stuff. And then he's on some other board and he's taking rips at me. And it was just a terrible i was just it was all my fault did that i but we, I, but as i seem i th- i think we get along now so it's all good ladies and gentlemen that's personal growth from carrie murdoch <laughs> right there that's that's a different human being than uh than the guy we used to know so that I, i'm i'm a little bit proud right now i i have said this many times i am a competitive ass and less <laughs> now as i'm getting older but many times i've been a competitive ass in my lifetime but it was a little bit, you got to admit, Josh, like when we were first starting out and when Sooner Scoop first started, it was more the Wild West then. I mean, there were two, two, basically two outlets that were trying to kill each other. 
I think that would have been that hated each other. That'd have been awesome. I would have loved to rip somebody's throat out or heart. Eddie would have made it worse. Eddie would have been like carrot. Like he would have been gasoline on the fire. Like it would have been so much worse. Uh, Eddie's like, I, I don't know. Like Eddie's like the junkyard dog. Like you can only let him go so far. He's going to like hurt someone. Like someone's really going to like, he's going to maim some poor little kid that just happens to be too close to the fence. Just like with the, uh, did I, I haven't told the story on the podcast yet. What happened at the autograph day. <laughs> so <laughs> I, Saturday. I find Eddie like this is Eddie, Saturday. This is on Saturday. I am on the offensive side taking pictures, and I didn't even realize, like, Bob... St- I was like, where is Bob Stoops? He wasn't on that side. And and the other side of the stadium was the defense, and Bob Stoops was over there. And so I'm walking over to defense, and Eddie and I, like, finally see each other. So he's been over at defense the whole time. I've been at offense. And we see each other, and we're right in front of the real uh, Sooner Schooner with the ponies and everything, and people are stopping to take their pictures. And then the horse pigs are standing there, and they always have to. It's just like it when you go to Big 12 Media Day. They always want a mug, and they always want a handshake or a fist bump or something. Especially if you have, like, a camera or something. Yeah, which yeah. We both I think they cameras. thought that we were going to, like, start taking photos of them or something. And so one of them, I don't know if it was Boomer or Sooner, the, the, the mascots, puts out their fist for a fist bump with Eddie, and I was like, you don't want to do that. I was like, <laughs> you are asking for trouble. And as soon as I could say, you're asking for trouble, Eddie says... I'm a top dog, man. Straight up. <laughs> Got to represent. And he just walks away. And, fe- and, the, and the poor guy in the in the suit, I'm sure he was so devastated. I gave him a fist bump just to try and make him happy. Well, I mean, first off, that's kind of his fault for being a mascot. <laughs> Let's be honest. And then second off is I just had to get out of that situation because it smelled so terrible with the horses. Oh, just, yeah, it smelled like poop. What's up with that? They need to, like, figure out. Figured by now in it's 2016. It's 100 degrees, and, you know, the horses poop, Eddie. Yeah, but they need to, like, figure out a way to do something. Like Febreze their asses or something? Yeah. yeah, or do something. I figured that have, like, a little thing that you they could go in or something. They do. They have a scoop. They scoop it up, and then they put it in the Not, trash. I should have got video because there was excessive poo everywhere. See, I... I have to admit, I was nervous with all the other fans that are listening to this right now. I, For everyone out there, I hadn't heard the story. I had not heard this thing in its entirety. And I'm like, we're going to get a call from PETA. Eddie hit a horse. Like, Eddie hit a horse. <laughs> like, I'm thinking it the whole time. Snowflake? Like, yeah, I'm like, he, uh, you killed Snowflake. Like, I, I was waiting for that Say story. Eddie pulls out the crossbow. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so back to serious business. It was a big mm. week for commitments or... Yeah, commitments, mm-hmm. and uh, we talked about uh, Kenneth Murray, uh, but OU got their 2018 quarterback, and I immediately went on preemptive strike saying, don't bitch about this because this is how it works now. It worked this way with Chris Robinson. Now it's going to be working this way for for their 2018 class. You know, you don't get it as much as you used to, but I, I'd see when there were commitments or you know guys that got offers early, you'd kind of hear the old guard around the board be like, oh, you know, it's it's – it's too, you know, it's too early. No, man, it's not. Like th- this is this is the way this is. You're gonna have by this time next year, 2018 will be 60 percent in the books. I mean, like you, you, people just need to get their minds around this is the way recruiting is, and they'll say, and the rebuttal becomes, well, you know, but but they might decommit. You know, you look at OU's class right now. It's got 17 guys, uh, 18 guys in it now with Kenneth Murray this morning. Maybe two of those guys will could end up somewhere else. Like, and I'm not saying that, like, 
a, you know, I'm looking at two guys that are at risk. I'm saying by the numbers, it's probably about two guys. So, I mean, if you're talking about. And you know what? If somebody leaves, it might be because they got somebody really good and it pissed off somebody that, you know, was a three star or four star and was just like, I don't want to compete against that person. Exactly. And you get to watch the whole thing unfold. Like, I mean, and you kind of. To me, that's what recruiting has become. It's the story kind of behind this. Like, the commitment that 10 years ago, that was the story. That's what mattered. Now. You know, today, like somebody asked me a question about um, who Robert Barnes was tweeting about last night. I'm like, guys, you know who he's tweeting about. I'm not going to say it, but we all know what's happening tomorrow morning. Just let it play out. Let it be there. But because of what, you know, what news is like and how fast it moves now, everybody knew Kenneth Murray was going to Oklahoma a week ago or at least had a very good inkling in that direction. So, you know, I, I think that's that's what's interesting. But to, to kind of get off that rant, Cameron Rising is that's a huge commitment. He I'm as high on him as any quarterback OU signed really since I've been fully ingratiated with doing this. I mean, you know, you can go back, you can say Bomar or whatever, but I mean, I, I won't claim that I really knew enough or felt strong enough in an evaluation to get all that, you know, technical with Rhett Bomar. But as you go through the years, I, I, I can't find a lot of flaws in Cameron Rising. I mean, I kind of keep waiting for someone to tell me, oh, he's really six foot one, or oh, you know, that, to find some obvious hole. Because when I watch him on tape, he is a really good athlete. He makes all the throws. I mean, there's just nothing for Oklahoma fans not to be really excited about. To forget that he's from an area that produces a ton of talent, and Oklahoma can now use him to kind of get in the door in California even more than they already are. I'm trying to think. Red Bomer, I remember he announced he committed in the summer, and he was at some event with like the quarterback was, at Florida State. It was State. Elite Eleven. Was it Elite Eleven? He committed at the Elite Eleven. You know who he committed with? Like they they went and picked hats. Christian Ponder. I thought it was Christian Ponder. Yeah, wow. that he is. Christian Ponder went into like a Champ Sports or something and picked out hats, and Ponder came out with Florida State, and he came out with OU, and that's how they announced. That's wild. I did, I did not awesome. know that story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And because Christian Ponder's from Colleyville, right? The Colleyville is he from Colleyville Heritage, where uh, Cody went? Tom, Cody Thomas. I want to say Ponder was from like a private school or something. Like there was like a well, Colleyville you know, was. Yeah, he went to Colleyville Heritage High School. Did he? Okay. I just okay. Wikipedia it. That's pretty yep. tight. Yep. That. Yeah. Oh, Colleyville's got a pretty good tradition, and it's usually the same kind of deal, like with Ponder and with you know Cody Thomas. One really good player or two really good players, and then just kind of a bunch of dudes around them. Ponder had to win the wife, right? I mean, oh, there's yeah. no way Bomo. I don't know if he's. I think he's married now, but is he? I don't know. I think he's still. He's the last I heard about him. He's coaching down in Texas somewhere. If I remember right, it was somewhere like around the border, like not like not far from Windstar, if I'm not mistaken. Hmm. Coaching at uh oh, what's the town? Thackerville. Thackerville oh, High. Cool. <laughs> Thackerville is where Windstar is. I know. That's what I'm saying. Maybe he's coaching at Thackerville High. All right. Well, uh, we're detouring once again. But uh, (laughs) we mentioned Cameron Rising. uh, And then, of course, the big flip. Literally, the big flip. Creed Humphrey. Uh, I I was shocked when you guys were telling me this was getting ready to go down. But, Josh, I know you were on top. But when did this really start happening for, for Creed Humphrey? You know, it's not something, uh, and I think the only way you can have credibility is if you own stuff. Like, I'm not going to claim that I knew about this or I saw it coming a week ahead of time. I did not. This was 
Creed messaged me just completely out of the blue about 20 minutes before he announced it on Twitter. He goes, hey, I just wanted to give you a heads up. About 5 o'clock, I'm going to flip to OU. And that literally was the message. Uh, and, it, and, and I honestly kind of was – I think I was writing another story or looking at the board or doing something where my attention was really only about half on what I saw. But I had to read it two or three times before like it clicked what he was telling me. And uh, But, I mean, he told me you know, in our conversation that Oklahoma had, you know, had never really given up on him, kept working on him. And that kind of adds up when you look at the way the Xavier Newman situation went where it seemed like, you know, OU was wanting him to come up, but they were never pushing that hard. You never got that feeling like, Xavier, we want you here this weekend. We're going to, you know, we're going to try to close this deal. You know, you didn't get that vibe from it. And I think they just thought they could turn Humphrey, and that's eventually what happened. You know, what's funny to me and something that I didn't even think about, somebody else actually brought to my attention – was one of the coaches he mentioned talking to in the story is Kale Gundy. And Kale Gundy's the one that, you know, if you remember, kind of sent out that veiled tweet after Humphrey committed day and it was something like, you know, some schools win championships and some schools talk about winning championships. And Humphrey talked about talking to Gundy and seemed like it was, you know, kind of all good. So it's kind of interesting. Some guys, that'll really, you know, rub the wrong way. I know um, – uh, Chris Daniels was bothered by some of that stuff last year when when he decommitted from Oklahoma. Yeah. So, you know, it's kind of funny. Some guys, it, it just goes the other way. And I think with Humphrey it being close to family and kind of probably being a pretty savvy kid and seeing that A&M's kind of in some weird space right now. I wouldn't know that Gundy stuff. <laughs> You're blocked. I'm blocked. You're blocked by Kel. The it's It's interesting, Josh, that, you know, with what Oklahoma's doing in state right now, I looked it up and they have five uh, five guys committed. Nine is the most Bob Stoops has ever had. That was in 2006 class. Uh, how much do you think the in state guys just being around Creed uh, throughout the summer at the opening has helped with uh, with their persistent, I guess, recruitment of him and uh, and finally landing him? I, I think that maybe it plays a, a, a bigger role than I guess some people would expect. Well, I think it's peripheral. Like, like I, I, you know, I talked to Creed about it, and I kind of asked him, you know, hey, how involved were these guys? And he goes, you know, I really haven't talked to many of them since, um, since the opening. So it wasn't like there was a, a constant uh, relay of information. But you can't kind of help but see what's happening at OU right now. I mean, the momentum is just impressive right now. We've, we've kind of talked about it building all summer but now you feel like it's starting to really hit home and I, you know we, we've talked about three commitments in the last what four days and I, I don't think OU's done this week I, I think there may be more to come so or at least in the next week or two I, I think you will see some more action go down so I think Humphrey can see it you know he, he follows guys like me and Bob Prisbillo and you two he sees all the stuff you know where the news we're putting out or this guy committed or this guy's you know, big on OU right now, and he knows that that stuff is, that's meaningful. I mean, Creed plays at a school that, you know, once was very competitive on the level they play, and now they kind of, you know, they're they're having trouble kind of getting back on their feet and competing at the level they want to. So I think he knows how much talent you need to succeed, and, and I think he wants to be a part of something like that. A&M is you know, he decommitted one day, uh, and I think actually same day they lost to Vodrick Johnson, um, a, right, a linebacker yeah. commitment. So, I mean, they, 
A&M's taking some hits right now, and Oklahoma just is really about flying about as high as they have in years. They need the NFL draft to happen like right now so Miles Garrett can go number one overall, <laughs> get some of their swagger back. A&M? Yeah. You they, know, I was reading something the other day that actually was saying they, uh, there were some NFL front offices that actually had the Barnett kid from Tennessee ahead of him. I, I, I like the Barnett kid, but Garrett's freaky, man. Yeah. He always has been. Uh, okay, so 18 commitments now. Where, I mean, obviously a lot of linebacker stuff to play out here coming up, but uh, with, I know it's not Newton, I know it's Newman, after uh, I was chastised thusly last week. <laughs> what does that mean for Newton? What does it mean uh, for really the rest of this class? Does it, does it take Oklahoma out of anything where they're now, sitting right now? Quick question. Was that Newton intentional, or did you just do it again? Newman. You said Newton. I, I didn't even notice Newman. it. <laughs> I said, catch. I know it's Newman, We're, not Newton. No, and then you go, does this matter to Newton? I swear, Damn we're going to listen to the tape, and you're going to hear it. i got to start thinking uh, of Seinfeld in my head. <laughs> Newman. Uh, I, I think the door is closed on Newman. I think it is on Cesar Ruiz, the offensive lineman from IMG as well. I think Oklahoma's looking to take one more tackle. Mate. It would be really hard for me to imagine, like, if, if Adrian Ely and Chuck Filiaga both wanted to come, it's tough for me to see OU saying no. Yeah, yeah. But I think with that exception, I think Oklahoma's looking at one tackle. I think they kind of expect it to be Adrian Ely and then probably be done on the offensive line. I mean, you look at it right now, Oklahoma could very possibly be down to two commitments on the offensive side of the ball. I, I think they will still take Omar Manning. And I think that's still a possibility to happen before the season. Uh, I think they would. Uh, I know they would take Adrian Ely. And then, really, what you're looking at is Jeff Akuda, Jalen Johnson at corner, and then, like you mentioned, a bevy of dudes on the defensive line and linebacker. I mean, that that's what is left in 2017. That's just how crazy the start's been, where Oklahoma can really zero in on about 10 or 12 guys. It's pretty wild. When I, I saw that Joe posted on the board. 18th commitment today for Oklahoma's 2017 class. The 18th commitment in the 2016 class was Mark Jackson in February of the like a couple months ago. Wow, that's 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 wild. It's just that I guess just shows where OU's at right now. Well, and I saw the question on the board, and I'm just gonna say I'm gonna I'm gonna break my arm patting myself on the back. I told people like as soon as we saw this staff. Over a year ago at the satellite camp down in Dallas, I was like, these guys are going to turn it around. Like, I haven't seen this much hustle out of a coaching staff, maybe ever. I mean, it, probably the early years of Stoops when Brent Venables was around and, uh, you know, Jackie, Jackie Ship was still going. You had, like, Jonathan Hayes out there uh, that's a real dynamic personality. It, I just, I don't think they've had this collection of dynamic personalities uh, except for maybe one other period in Stoops' tenure, and that was his early years. Yeah, and that's not coincidence that you look at those early years, you know, that 99, kind of 2001 era, those 03 and 04 and 05 teams were really, or no, I guess 03 and 04, were probably Oklahoma's most talented teams under Bob Stoops. There was a whole bunch of NFL talent on those teams. That's not coincidence. I mean, you, you know, it's you look at this staff, and these guys are all over the place. They're constantly doing stuff. 
I've never seen an offensive coordinator that recruits like Lincoln Riley. I mean, that guy is everywhere. and Which shows him, you why he's a good head coaching candidate. Oh, Just yeah. like I think Brent Venables is a good head coaching candidate. Because even though they're coordinators, they care and they work just as hard at recruiting as they do being coordinators. Well, exactly. They're not just talking about, well, I'm going to go get my quarterback. They're going to go land a DB if that's what they need to do. You know, I mean, obviously, in OU's case, that's a poor example because Kerry Cooks has pretty much got that locked down. But, I mean, you know, if he needs to go get a defensive end and help, you know, Calvin Thibodeau or an outside linebacker, he'll do it, man. Well, I think what this does, too, which is – really going to be great for the staff is it lets them all zero in on a Marvin Lewis going down the stretch. I mean, it doesn't have to be just Thibodeau by himself. You can have uh Kerry cooks kind of dabble in it and build yeah. a relationship there. In, uh, in heck it can be Lincoln Riley it can be other guys. I mean uh, it, it's just going to allow them to kind of all pull together and work on these, you know, last few seven scholarships. I guess this would be maybe a question for both of you, but maybe more carried that just how much does this reflect just kind of that rejuvenation that we've seen in Bob Stoops? It's I've, I've thought the last couple of times that he's talked at Big 12 Media Day, even uh, local media day, uh, when we saw him talking to taking questions from the donors at the golf tournament, it just seems <laughs> like it's a it's a complete rejuvenation. He seems like a different person. They've wrote about it in the papers. We've had stuff up on the board about it. It's just it's really interesting that. And I think it goes hand in hand that all this stuff has changed and it's kind of almost changed at the top as well. He's, he almost seems, I don't want to say rededicated because I know that's something that he would absolutely hate, but it almost seems like he is rededicated to what he's doing and what he's building. I think it's a lot of things. And I kind of stopped on the why is recruiting improved. It goes along the same line. It's not just new coaches. It's the commitment to facilities. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it is, you know, I think Bob... There was probably, you know, that this last year, coming off that 8-5 and five season, uh, John Hoover writing the article saying that he should be gone. Yeah. Uh, I think that, you know, is a punch in the gut to anybody. But then, as loyal as Bob is, as genuine as he is, to fire people that, you know, to fire Josh Heupel. I mean, a guy that won yeah. you a national championship. Uh, you probably have a lot of blame. Uh, you know, you probably blame yourself for a lot of things. Uh having to listen to people rip on them even after they're gone. Uh, and, you know, t- he never wanted to talk about letting go of those coaches. He, anytime he would ask, he would not get mad, but he wouldn't have anything to do with it. I think probably after having last season, going through last season, seeing uh, what he saw with these coaches, uh, seeing, um, you know, Kerry Cooks and seeing Lincoln Riley and having an offense like he had, uh, I think now he said he can live with himself and say, you know what, I made the right decision. Yeah. It was tough, but I did do what was right. As much as it hurt, you know, to do it, I made the right decision. It was the right thing to do. I don't feel like I was such a horrible person, you know, for letting go of guys that that you know it bothers me. I don't know this. I'm just I'm guessing. Yeah. Uh, I think that lightened the load a little bit. I think the support staff. I think that's been a big part of it. Uh, you know. They were battling with other people like Alabama that were building these 12, you know, coaching, hiring every Kevin Steele and all yeah. these guys in. And I think them, you know, increasing. Now they have more quality control positions. Now they have more social media help. Uh, so it's not so much of a burden on them. Uh, I, I think all of that goes together. And then, you know, the stadium, uh, you know, building onto it, not being stagnant any longer. Uh, and, it, you know, it was funny because 
did you go? Were you on the tour last year when they gave us the tour of their facilities? Uh, no, like before practice, I don't think I went over there. Um, like when they took through like the old office or yeah, the new office, they took us through the bud yeah. and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, I didn't go on that. It was so strange because Bob was in such a great mood and. I was walking through going, oh, my God, this is like this. So like and it looked nice. I mean, they did a good job with it, uh, but you know, but everything was so small and cramped. Yeah. And like Lincoln Riley's desk was right next to the conference room, was in the conference room. Like so the big conference table was sitting in there and Lincoln Riley's crammed in the corner working. And I was like, Lincoln, don't you? Isn't that kind of weird? And he's like, oh, I'm never in my office anyway. Even I'm always in that conference room, even if I had an office. So This is better than what I had in East Carolina. Oh, I'm sure it was, <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, like, Bob was so giddy to show us his like, Like, Blake was taking us through. He's the head, I think he's the head trainer. Um, he was taking us through on the tour. Bob, like, takes the tour over. He's like, oh, I'll, I'll take him. I'll show him. And so he took us back to his office, and he's like, look, i got a bedroom in here. i got a shower. A, he was like all fired up and like showed us. He's like, this is great. And, you know, he had a surfboard in there. He's got some surfboard from, I can't remember what bowl they, they went to. They gave this giant surfboard. He's got his Jimmy Johnson signed helmet in there and some of his footballs. He's, he's got, you know, his big ring collection and all that stuff. But he was, he was like a proud papa. And for temporary digs, he was so happy uh, to show us around and stuff. And from that point on, I was like, this is a different guy. Like, this yeah. is not this is no longer the surly bob stoops well it seems like the i, I mean I, I guess it it really has helped his just his health wise just the hip thing i think yeah, is really it's a big part I think of it he, too he just feels good he's not waking up and just feeling awful every day and he said he didn't know how bad a, a pain he was in until he got it fixed until he yeah. didn't have the pain anymore so it's interesting i think it's all kind of come to a head and it's just it's crazy that it's happening now in year 18 that they're able to kind of put themselves in a position for really to, I don't want to say go on a run or anything like that, but they've put themselves in really, really good position to have a good 2016 season. I look at it like this. It's not a, it's not a good comparison, but Josh, you'll, you know, when you first started really getting into college football, uh, you didn't really know Tom Osborne early in his career. I mean, you probably heard of the failed two point conversion against Miami and Howard Schnellenberger when he, and he national championship was on the line. They would have converted a two-point early in his career. He would have been a national champion. But then he toils through all these years. He gets known as the guy that can't beat Switzer and uh, you know all this stuff. And he kind of goes through this, this period where he's the lovable loser, kind of. He, he never is the guy that can get him over the hump. Then he ends his career on, on one of the best runs in college football history, just winning national championship, national, just killing people in national championship yeah. games. I could almost see Bob kind of having a Tom Osborne like finish to his career, where the the well, Nick Saban you know, part it, comes it, in later. Yeah, the way they're recruiting right and, now. And you're right, Terry. Like I, 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 it was always funny to me because you know I was 13 and 14 of those 94 and 95 years when Osborne was just you know leading one of the best teams ever played, and you know you, you that before that it's all kind of hazy. You know, like I knew about it, it was there, but it was so kind of beyond me and then to watch that team go on that run and then you know add in another one in 97 I, Nebraska was just amazing back then and it's funny because now it's kind of come full cycle and I think guys that were you know my age then now don't remember Nebraska as anything you know they're, they're just kind of a secondary thing but with what you're saying I, I completely agree I mean somebody brought it up on the board the other day and I can't remember who 
was kind of like, you know, if you're going to get Oklahoma, you might want to do it now. And, and I think there's some truth in that. I mean, you if Oklahoma can keep this thing going for two or three years, you know, keep you're, you're going to have some staff departures. You're going to lose a few players. A few guys won't pan out like you wanted to. But for the most part, if you keep the basic idea of what's happening right now, they're going to be better in 2018, 2019 than they are now. There's going to be yeah. more NFL guys just because they're recruiting so, so much better. And let's face it, I wrote about this, you know, with the, uh, the article I had about, um, you know, this won't be a letdown year for Stoops, but all you have to do is go back to the college football playoff. Look at Clemson. Look at the, I mean, talent-wise, Deshaun, Deshaun Watson. Watson. I was trying to think Jackson. Deshaun Watson, he's as good as there is. I mean, he's a touch better than Baker. Mm-hmm. And for pro potential, probably quite a bit. I know. I hope Baker doesn't hear that. Um, but you saw the differences. It wasn't big, but it was the difference between being a national champion and being a national semifinalist. It's that a little bit more physical. A little. I mean, Shaq Lawson goes out. They don't. Lo- they don't lose a beat. I mean, yeah. they bring in other defensive ends that create havoc. Uh, you know, they had decent receivers, decent defensive defensive backs, but. There was just that little bit of difference between them, and there's a there was a little bit of difference between them and Alabama, yeah, and, and Oklahoma, Oklahoma, Alabama. They're not that far off, but they're still not there, yeah, in my mind. Well, I, I think that that's just going to kind of be the the big question mark going into this season is can Oklahoma make that jump? And I think that we're going to probably know pretty quickly what kind of team this is going to be if they come out and sputter in the first two quarters down in Houston. I don't, I don't want to say that there's reason for concern for the next 12 games, but I definitely think that there's a reason to think that maybe they, they can't get there. But you look at like you look at Orlando Brown, Samia, Alvarez. Those three guys on the offensive line are better than any combination of three guys they had a year ago. Right. So well, they're better there. They are better. Defensive line, they're, they're so young, but there's so much talent there. I, tell you, I want to get to that, but first, Josh, I wanted to ask you, because I know – this, I feel bad because we didn't give it as much attention as we should have. I know, just judging by our traffic and stuff, and looking at uh, this stuff that we have, like analytics, there was a lot of interest in uh, Grant Blankenship, uh, the transfer from Notre Dame. But we we have confirmed that he is transferring to Oklahoma. But I know Josh, you have a little bit more on that uh, in terms of what exactly type of transfer this is, scholarship, walk on, what what have you. Well. Yeah, I mean, and that was something that, you know, we, we took a little time kind of checking on that story because we wanted to have a little bit more detail because it was his departure from Notre Dame was interesting. You know, he was a big-time guy, played as a freshman. I mean, there was a lot of expectation that he was going to be a player for Notre Dame. And then, you know, 18 months later, he's gone. And so you kind of wondered what had happened. And I did some checking. And, you know, there, there definitely there was some friction at Notre Dame between him and the coaching staff and – there were some questions, some academic things, you know, not like I said, none of it's serious, nothing, you know, nothing legal, nothing like that. Just some differences on, um, you know, uh, how things should have gone, you know, I think maybe from he and his family's eyes and what Notre Dame saw for him. So when Oklahoma brought him in, it's, it's my understanding there were a few things he needed to clear. And, you know, I, I think we know. For, to go from one Division One program to another, you kind of have to be in good standing with the prior school, and I don't know that that's entirely the case. So I, I don't know that Oklahoma, even if they would have wanted to, 
could have given him a scholarship. I think that's kind of the question. And so what's ended up happening is he's going to be a walk-on and obviously a really, really good one that will have the opportunity to earn a scholarship. But I think it works out really well for Oklahoma because, A, you know, they get to kind of hold that scholarship back and kind of let him work for it. And I think on the other side of things, let him kind of prove that he's ready to put in the work, do some of the things he needs to do. Um, and, you know, and those questions may not be fair. I mean, you, you kind of what you hear is a very Notre Dame slanted idea of it. Obviously, anytime a kid leaves, it's not all, it's not usually going to be flowery from the preceding coaching staff. So I think Oklahoma just takes a really good risk here. They get a local kid. Maybe he comes a little closer to home. He's a little happier. And if he, you know, if he goes out and plays like he's capable, I mean, he's a 6'6", 265, 270 guy. I mean, big, impressive guy. Fits what OU wants to do uh, with their defensive end. So he's a nice fit for OU. He can redshirt. He's got that year to give. So he can have two years of eligibility and, you know, be placed back on scholarship this time next year. But, yeah, he's going to walk on. And I, I would be a little surprised even at the semester if he picked up one. I think, oh, you might want to see him go through a full year and then kind of reevaluate where they are with him. Blankenship played in uh, 11 games, 12 tackles at Notre Dame in 2014. Josh, how much how, how much did Kerry Cooks play into this role? He was the guy that actually got Blankenship to South Bend, uh, picking Notre Dame over Oklahoma. Uh, when, you, when you take a step back and look at it, how much did Kerry Cooks actually probably play in this decision and maybe even vouching for uh, Grant as a player in person saying, hey, I, I got this guy up there. I think we should take a chance on him here in Norman. I don't think there's any question that, you know, when you look at it, Blankenship certainly feels feels a level of comfort with Cooks. You know, it kind of works out really nicely. Like we said, he gets to go closer to home, play with a, you know, with a coach that he knows well, even if it's not his position coach, and goes into a system that fits him well. So for Blankenship, it makes a lot of sense. Um, but with Cooks, I get the impression that Cooks was very uh, kind of pivotal in the role of, you know, what's this kid like? What's he about? You know, wh- wh- how is he going to fit into what we see thing, uh, the way we see things? And so I, I think from a kind of fact-checking and getting a better feel for who Grant Blankenship is, Cooks was very useful in that way. And obviously, you know, even, you know, we talk about, yeah, he recruited in there. Obviously, Kerry Cooks still knows the staff at Notre Dame. He can still make calls and say, you know, what what's – What's his kid's story? Was he a problem for you guys? You know, they, they can check a lot of background stuff that they would kind of have to take as, you know, or I guess take on faith. But with this, Cooks knows these guys. He knows who he's talking to, and he knows, you know, who he can and can't trust at Notre Dame and, you know, who's going to give him that fair evaluation. So I think it was very good as far as finding out, can this guy be a fit for us? Can this guy, will he work within the parameters of what we want? Yeah, and there's there. Trust me, Kerry Cooks. I think the one thing that he did is he. There will be no secrets about what happened at Notre Dame if something went on, what his attitude was, all that. Because people at Notre Dame, are, he, I'm sure he still has really good relationships with a lot of people there, uh, and they can say, "Look, this." I'm sure he knew within five minutes from when they heard uh, from his family. And they were on the phone. What happened? I'm sure he knew everything in about five minutes, and that would mean that Bob Stoops would have. So they're they're making a decision based on probably knowing everything that you need to know about the kid. Uh, one thing I, I I wanted to get to uh, 
it, was there anything that we wanted to touch on recruiting? Because I want to ask you about some of the, the true freshmen uh, that are making an impact so far in camp, Josh, and kind of get your thoughts on, on people's surprise but that might surprise you a little bit. But anything else on recruiting you want to hit before we get out of here? No, you know, obviously, I like we kind of touched on, I mean, I, I think over the next few weeks you're going to see some movement. Guys like Anthony Hines, I think there's a lot of buzz about him maybe making a move uh, and, and making his decision. Um, Addison Gums, another linebacker. Uh, you know, you, you, Caleb Anshashan is a guy that we've talked about for a month now. Is seeming like it could go down at any minute. So, And Omar Manning, uh, again, Adrian Ely. I mean, it's, it's entirely conceivable – that Oklahoma within a month's time could have like three spots left in their class. Like, I mean, that, that's not hard for me to envision at all. And like you said, then you get that, you know, okay, it's not just Calvin Thibodeau recruiting the defensive ends. It's Kerry Cooks is getting involved. Lincoln Riley is going to go on that in-home visit. You know, you get to really bear down on these guys with your best, you know, kind of your best recruiters to try and close these deals. And obviously if that happens, the chances for guys like Marvin Wilson and Jeff Akuda and all those sort of things just goes up. Any buzz lately on either Wilson or Akuda? A little bit of talk this week. There's been kind of the two schools that I think everybody feels like maybe are making a little bit of a move are uh, Oklahoma is one because he's just been up there so frequently, has a good relationship with all the commitments. But the other school that I'm all of a sudden hearing more and more of is LSU, and I think there's a lot of talk. On Akuda you're he, talking about. Exactly. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't clarify. Yeah, with Akuda, it's just it sounds like LSU maybe's got his ear a little bit. You know, they've got the obviously a great tradition of defensive backs. They've got a a guy from the DFW that's going to be a, probably a first round pick and an All American in Jamal Adams this year. And I, he actually works with the same trainer that Akuda does. He and Adams, so they're close. They have a relationship, and I think that can help LSU. With Wilson, it's kind of been quiet since the opening. He's kind of gone a little bit under the radar. But the, the kind of buzz right now is Florida State. I, I hear them coming up a little bit more frequently. And, um, you know, he's made a couple trips down there. So I, I think that's a, a school that you want to keep an eye on, along with, you know, Alabama and LSU and all the schools we've talked about with him forever. I would imagine Florida State's going to sell the uh, – it was a Denton, Denton kid uh, whose dad. Mario, Mario Edwards. 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 Yeah. I bet they're going to sell that angle pretty hard to him. Did I'm trying to think? I guess his he ended up having a, a pretty good career out really there. Really good. I mean, he got drafted. Yeah. I think was he a first or second round draft? He was. A, I think he was early second, if I'm not mistaken. I want to say he's with the Bills. Is that right? God, that just makes me feel so old now that Mario Edwards has has cleared college. He was good, man. I yeah. mean, he was good in college. I mean, he 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 wasn't a bust at all. Um Okay, guys, you know, I thought, you know, you had, you had told me that you were hearing some stuff about Imani Bledsoe, Josh, and that's one name that's continued to come up every time Multiple we talk to coaches uh, and even players. I was, I mean, Drew Samia, I think, brought him up, like so how did, impressed uh, he was. So did Walker. Charles Walker did as well. Did and the one, the one name that has really just shocked me, like I almost had to, I almost had to like pull out my Rivals app and or just you know, pull out my mobile and do a, a quick search, but. When Kerry Cook said Parnell Motley, I was like, Parnell Motley. <laughs> I mean, it was just like, it was so surprising. I mean, he's one guy that we've never talked about being an instant impact guy in this class. No, you know, and he's one of those guys, I still to this day, his junior film, when, when it came out that OU offered him, I think it was probably last March, April, something like that. Yeah, and he was and committed I, to Maryland at the time, early, exactly. right? Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Or I think it was just before he'd committed. I think he committed about a month later. But yeah, I mean, he was definitely moving in that direction. And it wasn't that terribly, you know, like you hadn't been in the, uh, I guess you'd call it the Kerry Cooks experience for that long. And you're kind of like, man, I've heard nothing but good things about this guy. But boy, I'm not buying this kid at all. Like, I, I just, I didn't see it. And, you know, talking to some people, they're like, oh, he's pretty good. You know, you, you got to watch him. And then I think I saw like his first four games of a senior tape. I'm like, crap, he's really good. Like, I mean, like, yeah, and it was, and I don't want to make it sound like, oh yeah, I saw that. You know, like I thought he. I knew be the it was coming. He was underrated. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 not like I that. fought. But I banged like, the table for really him to good. be a four star, and it didn't happen. I pushed for it. You know, I, I thought he was a top fifty kid in the country. Nobody listened. You know, it's just it's same deal. It's it's just my plight. No, no, I mean he was a guy long skinny kid you're like okay he'll have to redshirt but he's got some stuff you like you know give him a little time and but i weird, thought he josh, was clearly number three with but behind parish cobb and jordan parker and it was really weird josh because i know you and i were getting kind of some of the same phone calls about the kid but it's like overnight the ou staff just fell in love with this kid and they had to offer him and they 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 needed to know how solid he was to maryland and uh, it, it, but some they saw something in this kid that they liked on film, and as a staff, it it was almost like the rush was on for this kid. It, it was, and I think you know you also uh, they had to like the connection to Abdul Adams. You know, I think that's one of those things where you, I can't ever really tell if Kerry Cooks opened the door with Motley to get to Adams, or if that was Lincoln Riley through his old connections at East Carolina open the door to Motley via Adams. So yeah. it was kind of an interesting deal. But, yeah, I mean, with, with Motley, it was. It was overnight. There was no question. It wasn't like, a, well, we like him. We've got, you know, three or four. You know, you weren't hearing three or four other guys ahead of him. But, you know, we, we kind of got that guy on the back burner. There was clearly a focus on we like this guy. We think we can bring him in. And even when, Maryland, when he committed to Maryland, there was never any – Oklahoma didn't stop. They just kept working him, and eventually, you know, like we all know now, he jumped on board. It's very similar to just the recruiting part of it to Jordan Thomas. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, like a guy that was committed to some place that wasn't a power, was a good power five school, but all of a sudden they get enamored with him, and they get him to flip within. Was it within a month or less than that when they, from the what were time is – what we're talking about when they, when we knew they started getting enamored with this kid and they got him to flip, was it about a month's time? Yeah, you're right because they they actually offered him in the spring, that spring of end of his junior year, going into his senior year. But you're right, like it was kind of lukewarm. You couldn't tell where you really felt about him, and then you could tell they turned the screws probably about oh late November, early December. He takes a visit. I want to say like mid January, if I remember correctly, and you know had committed pretty shortly thereafter. So yeah, Tom and and Thomas was a guy that I actually when they offered him, I went up and saw him at um at Klein. Uh, not uh, he was a Klein Forest. No, uh, uh, he was just Klein High School, I think. No, oh, is there no. not a Klein? Is he not Spring? Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. He, no, he's Klein Collins. He's a Klein oh, okay. Collins. Collins. Yeah, that, God, that about hurt my brain um no um and i went up there and you talked to him and he was very you know I, i'm good with northwestern i like he wouldn't give me anything to to nibble on it there was nowhere for that interview to go after a couple of minutes i'm sure we've still got it on his page but you know he he there was no let up and he seemed very solid on northwestern 
But I think Oklahoma, you know, same kind of deal, just never really let up on him. And at some point, if you can get a kid like that to campus and see this is Northwestern and that's great, we, you know, we understand the academics are there, but come look at, you know, what it looks like on a Saturday for us. Come look at the whole town's painted red. You know, I mean, it, it's just, it's a, it's, it's a different sport. It's just not the same thing. And Oklahoma knew if they could get both Motley and Thomas to campus, then things would turn. Uh, the other name that I really enjoyed hearing get praised uh, by Kerry Cooks the other day was one of, I think, all of our favorites, Will Sunderland. And apparently he's having a really good camp. Uh, and I know there's no spot for him, but Kerry Cooks kind of wants to do this thing where he rotates guys a little bit, uh, which might be a good thing because I could definitely, you know, there's going to be some change over here pretty quick in the secondary, so they need to start having some guys ready. I know somebody was asking about Houghton today. I haven't really heard much about him. Uh, but, I mean, Sunderland, he's that guy that had that potential. You wonder if he really had the, the explosive athleticism, he had the size. Uh, but still to this day, whenever I see him, I like have to keep him from hugging me. I mean, he's like one of my favorite dudes. Will is Will's just an all-time kid. Like, and, I, and I always go back because, you know, in this conversation, I think everybody's going to look to me. Eddie's actually the first guy that – saw will when he was like eddie what would you say he was that day you saw him out at edmund uh, what was it, edmund memorial yeah he was no no it was edmund north it was edmund north that team that was probably gosh i don't know that would have been before his sophomore year right i think that was going into his sophomore and year. i just remember the picture he yep. was he was just so much bigger than everybody out there and he was so gangly but he's he's really like kind of seeing him uh, grow into his body the last couple years has been really interesting to watch. He's a guy that lives in the weight room, and obviously it's kind of paid off for him. He's going to be a guy that uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how o- OU tries to use him in their uh, in their defense this year. I think he's a guy that definitely will see some type of action on the field, uh, whether it be coming in and playing a little bit of safety. I think that it's interesting. Uh, you know, I don't know. There's just so many moving parts, and it seems like, they're so deep in the secondary, whether it be maybe guys that aren't very, um, I guess, not very not very much experience, but they have so many guys. I feel like you can stick guys back there, and it's like, he'll be fine. What happened was, I mean, before this recruiting took off, let's face it, Mike did a really good job pulling in a lot of young, young yeah. DBs that one year. It was probably the best part about that class, the 15 class, I guess it was, With right? Parker and... Or well, the, the year after that, year with after. Houghton and, uh, and Sunderland. And Will, yeah. And, um, yeah. That was six guys in that class. Uh, McKinney and um, I, I can't even think now. But what Antoine I'm saying Stevens. is Antoine Stevens. What I'm thinking is, though, you know, that they came in because it looked like Oklahoma's secondary was in shambles. They weren't really in shambles. They were just young. And all those guys that were young that, that Mike Soup was getting killed about, Stephen Parker and Ahmad Thomas, uh, Will Johnson came, I think, that, that next year, too. I think he was one of those six. Uh, but all these guys developed as uh, Jordan Thomas developed. I mean, Jordan Thomas wasn't anybody when that class was was being put together, and they developed so well. I mean, Jordan Thomas, Mod Thomas, Stephen Parker, uh, that that's about as good a development as you can ask for from young DBs. Now they're all really good, yeah. all all Big Twelve candidates. Uh, and then you bring you then you bring in this really good class of kids underneath them, and they don't really have a a, a an avenue to play right now, but some of those guys are getting a lot better. That that the, I guess the best way to put it is just 
the excuse of not having athletes in the secondary, which I think happened in 2011, 2012 area, that, that's really not around anymore. I mean, they don't have any more excuses. They have plenty of guys back there that should be able, while they, while they haven't really played in a lot of games, they, they have the ability to play back there, I guess would be the best way to put it. Well, Josh, I said this, as soon as Mike got back, I mean, look, it's your fault if you recruit a guy and he washes out because of discipline issues like a Gary Simon, but he was signing really good players from the moment he got back into Norman. I, absolutely. And, and, you know, and it's, I don't want to take the focus away from Mike, but do you guys feel like there's a lot of talk that Kerry Cooks is a great recruiter, and that's all fair. Like, it, it's legitimate and that's true. I don't know that he gets enough of credit for being a defensive backs coach. Like, you look at the growth of Stephen Parker last year, Jordan Thomas last year. Uh, Dakota Austin's a completely functional cornerback, which is something, and I don't want to make it sound like bad, but like if you told me that that guy that we saw in high school that was 5'9 and 150 pounds soaking wet was going to be a good college cornerback, I don't know that I could have believed you. I, he felt like filler to me, and that kind of goes to your Mike Stoops point. Mike's, Mike offered him, Mike wanted him, and you know they've made him into a player, but I think so often it gets lost that Kerry Cooks is a very good position coach. You go back to Notre Dame, and that year they went to the national championship, they did so with a guy playing corner that was recruited as a wide receiver or a receiver or running back that basically made the move during two-a-days to corner because they got so many injuries that he just had to make that jump over. And the guy ended up being like a, you know, a, a multi-year kind of second, third-team All-American guy. Yeah. Well, I, he, he's been fantastic. And like you said, Mike should get a little credit for the recruiting of the guys he's coaching Absolutely. now, but he's done a great job. And I'll say this, Mike can be a guy that you're, you sink or swim with him when you play for him because he's going to wear your ass out, and if you don't handle it well, you'll quit or you'll never do anything. And I think Kerry Cooks takes a, a more, I don't want to say motherly approach to it, but that's kind of what it is. I mean, He's, he's, he's your friend. He knows yeah. when to push and when to let off. Mike's just, Mike's just pretty much, you know, you figure this out or you're not worth my time. He's just full amp. I mean, visor backwards. It's it's really funny when we're standing there waiting for uh, guys to get Which, done. to be fair, Bobby Jack Wright was that way, too. And I'm sure Bob Stoops was kind of that way as a yeah. coach, too. Who? Which Bob, way? When Bob was a secondary coach. Oh, like, the, like Mike or like Kerry? Like, more like Mike. Like, Bobby Jack and Mike were basically... We're gonna we're gonna put you under a tremendous amount of pressure, and we're gonna see if you can handle it or not. Which I, I that's not to say that Kerry doesn't do it the same way, but you can tell there's more there's more of a fatherly figure kind of deal there. Yeah, I, I think I don't think there's any doubt though. When he needs to, he uh, he can jump in people's ass. It just he just doesn't do it as as much as Mike maybe does. One more uh, on the incoming freshman. I know Sunderland wasn't an incoming freshman, but. Uh, Amani Bledsoe, boy, I mean, for it, it probably couldn't have worked out better for him or for Oklahoma in that if Thibodeau wasn't at Kansas, I don't know that Amani Bledsoe would be at Oklahoma. Like, if he were somewhere else that had actually a decent football program, he might. if he were, like, at Kansas State, I bet Amani Bledsoe would probably be at Kansas State right now. But... I mean, everybody's pretty much sounds like blessed that Imani Bledsoe ended up here. I don't know, Josh, if you kind of foresaw that with him coming out of high school or not, but sounds like he's doing really well. 
Yeah, you know, I liked him as a when I looked at his um, his senior tape. You know, you thought this is a good player, but like anybody with Kansas, you're like, is is he a is it a competition thing? Is he dominating poor players or is he that good? But when I went out and saw him at the Semper Fi game uh, in January. The things that stood out to me were, I mean, first of all, the guy's got a great frame. I mean, he was 6'5", 255, and looked skinny. I mean, he was a kid you knew was going to carry 285 without even, uh, you know, breaking a sweat. And I, I've heard he's already up in the 270s. So, I mean, he's, he's well on his way to being where OU wants him to be. But the things that stood out to me were, first, he is a kid that is incredibly coachable. Like, at these All-American games, you guys have been there. They're walking around, and they're all, you know, we, I've got five stars. I don't need to listen to these guys. I'm just, just here to have a good time, around, you know. Yeah. The, it's, and it's fine, but that's just kind of the way that's wired. You know, the, those guys are, they're not there to learn to be better. They're just kind of enjoying the moment of being an All-American. He wasn't that way at all. Like, he's asking coaches for instruction, and he's talking to them, and, okay, you know, do I need to push down on that? I mean, he really very technical questions where he's trying to make himself a better player, but also – the motor, the guy is relentless. For 6'6", 250, those guys, especially in those scenarios, they're slugs, man. They just kind of stand around, and if there's a chance to make a big play, they're going to be in. But they're not going to chase a play 20 yards down the field. They're not going to chase a quarterback all over the field. They're just going to make what's available to him and what's going to look good in a highlight. But that's not how he was at all. He was really, really working hard. And that was just in a, like a Tuesday practice before a Saturday game. So he impressed me a lot. I, I, I you know, and we kind of joked earlier, I literally did. I made a recommendation for him to be a Rivals 100 guy based on what I saw out there. And it didn't end up happening. He did move up some. But he's a guy that I really liked. But, you know, Kerry, you talked about us hearing a lot of buzz on him. I've legitimately heard someone say, you know, if you told me three years from now who's going to be the better player, him or Caleb Kelly, I've heard at least two people tell me, It'll be Imani Bledsoe. And that, that kind of puts it in perspective because they love Caleb Kelly. It's not like that. It's just Bledsoe has so much upside. I would say, okay, guys that it's just too early to tell. I think it's because of the position they play. I think it's it's a complicated position in this defense, the outside linebacker position. I don't think we can say much on Caleb Kelly or Mark Jackson, whether they're ahead of schedule, behind schedule, where they should be, not where they should be. I just think it's too early to tell. Yeah. But neither one have clearly been like, oh, he's unbelievable. He's picking this stuff up like crazy. He's definitely going to play. He's definitely like, you know, Bill Beatonbow the other day said, okay, Bobby Evans, he's pushing for a starting job. I mean, that's about as close as you get to knowing a guy is definitely going to play. I, we can't say that about Caleb Kelly or Mark Jackson. Uh, the thing that if you want to say bust so far and it's not really – their ability, but Michael Jones has not been able to practice. I don't think at all. I don't think he's practiced once with the team since they've started, but just judged up based on conversation I've had with other receivers. And then Parrish Cobb, he's had a, a strained quad, hasn't been able to practice. But those are the only two guys I would say out of this class so far. It's Now, I'm not saying Michael Jones can't make an impact during the year, but, man, when you're a true freshman, a receiver in this offense – you need to be getting as many reps as yeah. you can. Well, and it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, you know, we put up some mini scrimmage stuff today, and it, it's funny that you start hearing the names that come out, and it's like, okay, well, that that makes sense. You, you don't hear those summer, quote-unquote, summer names anymore. 
Uh, and and I'm not I saying that crap. some of the guys that that aren't being named early in camp aren't going to play, but I think it's more realistic that you start seeing the Jarvis Baxters, uh, the D.D. Westbrook, the the longevity guys, the veteran guys in yeah. the group start stepping up more so than than anything. I you know, Carrie, I think that you said that you've been working on a story about this. How close do you think they are after talking with uh, Beatembo? Are they to starting Bobby Evans at right and then? Allow that, of course, allows Drew Samia to move inside and uh, almost bumps Ben Powers out of the starting lineup. I mean, how close are they to that decision uh, just in your talking with them and things that you've heard? I think as long as things continue down the path that they are right now, I think I think you I think Bobby Evans starts at right tackle when they when they take the field against Houston. Now, they'll know enough to whether that scares him, scares them or they may start, as they put more of the offense on him, more more responsibilities, he might start regressing. But I'd say right now, the way it's going, Bobby Evans is your starting right tackle, and Drew Samee is your, tar- your starting right guard. That would be a big win for him, I would think, and especially kind of taking advantage of Christian Daimler being out. And, I mean, I'll say this, since it's Drew Samia, Bobby Evans doesn't have to be perfect. He's going to have a guy next to him that knows his yeah. position that can help him along as they go and, and make him better and better. You know what's crazy about that? If you look across, if you, you say Orlando Brown's your, you know, your left tackle, you've got Ford at left guard, Alvarez at center, you know, and what we just talked about on the right side, that same offensive line could be the starting group in 2018. Like that, that's, that's how young that group is, but you don't feel like that's a weak group because honestly, to me, when you talk about Samia moving into guard or, you know, maybe Oklahoma liking that option better, I can't help but wonder if it's because they think Samia is that much better as a guard. I, I see a guy, when you watch Oklahoma's games from last year, you know, you see him kind of get beat for speed sometimes. And, you know, and obviously he was a true freshman. You're asking a lot of a guy. Yeah. And for him to be as good as he was was really impressive. But you kick him into guard and suddenly he becomes elite athletically. And as physical as he is and the way he plays. And he's up to 320 now. Yeah. I mean, like, you're talking – to me, that's a future All-American at guard. Like, I think Drew Samia could be amazing as your right guard. Talk, talking with Beatembo, it seems like that five pounds means a lot. Well, 30 pounds. Or 30 pounds, yeah. I mean. It, it, it just – I guess it – He was he, saying five pounds means a lot. 30 pounds is, is almost astronomical. immeasurable. Yeah, yeah okay. But I, I, he did – What's he look like? Samia? A lot yeah. bigger. He's just, he's just filled out. I mean, he he doesn't. He's got more in the butt, more in the more in the the arms and the shoulders. He looks, but good. not like he's not fat. I mean, he's yeah. it's no, good he's, weight. He's a well built kid. I thought the most impressive guy that we've interviewed, and it might have been just because we hadn't talked to him before. I was pretty blown away by Cody Ford and how he's put he's together. He's somebody I think we're you're we're sleeping on a little bit is potentially. I think he could potentially, next to Orlando Brown, be the best overall offensive lineman on that line. He is a massive, massive guy. He, and that's what they need. I mean, look at that that Clemson game last year. Proved it. They not having look. Ty Darlington was great for them to have, but he was not. He was not a foundation. I mean, he was. He could get pushed around. He made it harder on the guys next to him. Uh, guys could could outgap him sometimes. Having Alvarez is much more. He's much more physical. Cody Ford, I mean, Neela Casatati was you know big. I mean, he was nobody was moving him around yeah. that much. But this line, if Samia is at right guard, there's no question it's it's more physical than they were a year ago. 
Ford is he's a lot like kind of to go back to his recruiting. He's a lot like Marquise Hayes. He was a guy that I went and saw in uh, New Orleans at the Under Armour camp there, you know, going into the spring of his junior year, going into his senior year. And he was the O-line MVP. I didn't know anything about him. Uh, at that point, he wasn't even committed to TCU. And kind of, you know, kind of like we did with Hayes, you know, the story starts going up and I'm writing stuff and there's video from it. And within like a week, Bill Biedenboe reached out to him. And, you know, from that point on, it seemed like OU and he were just kind of on a collision course to kind of end up together. So, you know, it, it's, it's kind of interesting to see how you see those kind of cycles continue to play out. But Ford is a guy I was a huge fan of, had a chance to go over to Louisiana and see him play as a senior. And, you know, he's one of those guys I think OU fans are going to love him. Because, I mean, he, he doesn't know any way other than just a finish block he wants to bury people and that, that's his style of play and i think you guys touched on it perfectly that offensive line now looks like it's bill beatenbow's offensive line like they're bigger than they used to be they're more physical they may not be the guys that are going to run four seven forties or anything like that but they are guys that are going to lock on run on rails if they can get you in a phone booth they're going to beat you all right, I think we've made it through another podcast. Uh, we did it without Josh's dogs bothering him. Did you lock him outside today? Yeah, they're actually in the closet, you know. So we'll get the PETA to call even if uh, Eddie didn't hear Fordham, it. Fordham so, to me. Um, Josh has obviously started watching Last Chance U during this last last little segment here. His connection is fading. We need to. You need to watch that oh. so we can have a, a roundtable discussion. I'll try, you it's, know. It's it it's, really is. It's my favorite Netflix. Fall, there's a little thing called Fall Camp going on right now. It it is my favorite Netflix show that has come out in a long, long time though. I think it's awesome. I'll watch it. I promise. I will. I I watched Hard Knocks last night, and I'm very excited. The first episode was I thought fantastic. Josh, I'm ready. I haven't watched it yet. I'm have, in. have you been down to Scuba before? No, I have not been down to Scuba before. I have. Been in that area a few times, but shockingly enough, have not hit the uh, 750. All right. Well, we better end population this... of scuba yet. So, all right. Okay. We better end the podcast because Josh is fading fast. Uh, Josh, I appreciate it. Thanks for uh, joining us from your bunker, as we're now referring to. And uh, Eddie, appreciate you being in studio as always. Yep. Uh, we'll fun. talk with Bob. We're scheduled to talk with Bob on Friday. Then it'll be back to Monday, Tuesday. Uh, check out the board. We got scrimmage tidbits from today up there as well. Uh, plus tons more content coming. I got an offensive line piece I'm working on uh, that'll be up uh, on the site probably by the time you listen to this as well. So thank you to Josh McQuistian, to Eddie Radosevich. I'm Kerry Murdoch. We'll see you guys next time on the SoonerScoop.com podcast.